Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. You want to go ahead and find your spot? We will go ahead and, and get started. Hey, so uh, uh, just a reminder, I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody now because I'll forget by the time I get to the end, but there is no service next Wednesday again. Uh, that's because of Vacation Bible School. So last week we didn't have service on Wednesday night because of baccalaureate. Uh, this, we're here tonight, and then next Wednesday night will be Vacation Bible School, so all the kids and everything will be in here. Um, so week after that, we'll come back and get back into a... Uh, regular schedule. All right, if you got your Bible or device or whatever other thing you use uh, and you want to follow along, Romans chapter 16, and tonight we're going to cover 16 or 17 verses, verses 1 through 16. And the title of our study is What is in a Name or What's in a Name. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that as we come to the end of uh, Paul's letter, and of course his, Romans is, is one of those letters, that Paul begins to move away from doctrine and theology and, and commands and exhortations, and he begins to focus more on personal things, uh, talking about people, talking about places. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, a lot of times we think, well, I'm just going to skip that, or I'm going to read it real fast. There's nothing spiritual there uh, that I can, can get from it. So we just kind of go through it real quickly. And as I said in our last lesson... That's a mistake. Uh, I believe with all my heart that the word, all the word is God breathed. If it's there, it's there for a reason. Uh, it's not something we can skip. There, there's something there to be learned if we'll just put a little bit of, of, of effort into it. Now, this last chapter is absolutely chock full of names. In fact, there are going to be 27 names that Paul is going to call out. Now, I don't want you to think that that's all this chapter is. Uh, if you read through this chapter, you're going to see all kind of terms, terms like church and beloved and, and kinsmen and servants and uh, first fruits and approved in Christ, all kind of, of words and phrases that, that are just packed full of, of spiritual meaning. However, Paul has spent 15 chapters explaining all those terms. He's not going to go back over it again, right? He's going to use those terms, but he's not, uh, he's not going to explain them. I'm not either. Uh, again, we've been here a year and a half in the book of Romans. Um, you know, we've talked about all these different terms. So he didn't explain them in chapter 16. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to do that either. But I do want to dig in a little bit, and I want to see what in the world can we learn from a list of names. And as I said, there are 27 of them in this chapter. Now, so let's start to walk through it. Now, the first person or the first name that Paul uh, introduces us to or the first one that he refers to is a lady by the name of Phoebe. And she is called out in verses 1 through 2. Let's read it. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, Phoebe is very unique. 
in this list. There's 27 names. Out of all 27 names, she is the only person that doesn't live in Rome. In fact, she is the, the, the only person who isn't currently living in the city of Rome. And Paul is commending her or recommending her because she's on her way there. And he wants them to welcome her when she, uh, when she gets there. Now, this is unusual. So why would Paul do that? In fact, how does he even know that when the letter gets there that she's going to be there? Or, or how does he know she'll arrive? Or how does, how does he know, for example, that uh, she's not already there? And then the letter comes. How does he, how does he know? Well, it, it's a pretty simple explanation. She's actually the one that's going to be carrying the letter. So he knows he's giving it to her. She's bringing it to Rome. And he's saying when she gets there, I want you to welcome her. I want you to receive her as, uh, as, a, as a sister in, in Christ. Now, it doesn't just out and out say that. But it absolutely, when you read it, it makes the most sense. First of all, there's no indication in Paul's language that she's going to be there before the letter. And there's no indication that she's coming after the letter. The way he writes it, it's like, hey, here's Phoebe, welcome her, right? It just makes perfect sense or it's a natural conclusion that she's the one that's going to be carrying the letter. The second reason we can believe this is she is from a town called Centria. Now, Paul is in Corinth uh, when he's writing the letter. We know that. Centria is like a suburb of Corinth. It's a, it's a small town on the, on the coast. In fact, if you go over there today, you can still see the remains of the harbor uh, of the town of Centria. This is where she was from. So she was right there in that area where Paul was writing from. So that, that makes perfect sense. The third thing is that he says she was a patron. Now, that word means she's got money. She's not a servant girl. She's not a, a, a peasant woman. She's got means. She's got the capability. She's got the ability, the money, to be able to get on the ship and pay passage to, to Rome. And so, so she's been a patron to Paul. That means she supported him. She supported others. And so it makes perfect sense that she would have the ability and the capability to get on a ship and travel to Rome, and Paul would be able to entrust her. Now, what's more important is some of the things that Paul says about her. Now, the first thing he says is pretty straightforward. He calls her our sister. Now, what does that mean? Well, we don't have to explain that, right? I mean, theologically, you and I are brothers and sisters. That's because we have the same Father in heaven. We are children of God if we are believers. But in this context, what Paul wants, he's basically saying is, look, she's family. She's family. She's your sister, right? Families take care of their own. So he wanted to make sure she's taken care of. The next thing uh, is what he calls her, okay? Look at verse 1 again. This is in the ESV. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. Now, the Greek word there is diakonon. She's a servant of the church at Centria. But if you read the NIV, it says this, she was a deacon of the church in Centria. That says it in the NIV and also in the New Living Tra Translation. Now, why would one translation say she was a servant and another translation says she was a deacon? Because it's the exact same word. There is no difference. But that is the exact same word they use for servant is the exact same word that they would use for deacon. Now, many of us have a kind of a, 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 a warped view or a distorted view of what a deacon is. If you were raised, for example, 
in a Baptist church, you would be very familiar with electing deacons, and those deacons would serve on a church board, and they would kind of uh, help govern the church. That's different from what a deacon was in, in, the, in the original church. Um, you can see this in, um, in, in, in the original church, deacons, what does the word mean again? Servants. They were actually charged with carrying out ministry of, of mercy. So you had the elders, and the elders were responsible for spiritual things, for preaching, for teaching, for prayer, for counseling, uh, ministering the word. Deacons took care of the everyday stuff. They were the ones who made sure the orphans and the widows were taken care of. They were the ones that made sure the prisoners got visited, that, that the, the people who needed clothes and food got those things. That's what deacon meant. That's what the whole word meant. It meant servant. And this all comes, by the way, from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, and a Hellenist was a Greek-speaking Jew, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, this is the, the, the twelve disciples. They've, of course, Judas is, is long gone, but they've, they've elected another. There's twelve disciples or twelve apostles. They summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And that's exactly what they said. It's not right. We're, we're, we're here, we got to preach, we got to study, we got to pray, we're fasting, we're, we're doing all this stuff. Somebody else has to take care of the everyday dirty work, if you will. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So in that day, the word deacon, they were the people, again, that was just taking care of the everyday business of making sure those ministries of mercy were carried out. Now, whether Phoebe was an official deacon of the church at Centria, or whether Paul is just using this term in a general sense of servant, we don't know. I tend to think she was a deacon because he says a servant of the church at Centria, uh, but we don't know that for sure. Now, one thing I want to point out, because she's the first person is I want you to notice that out of this list of 27 uh, people, seven of them are women. Okay, that's, that's more than a quarter, a little bit more than, than 25% of them. Now, this is in a day and time where you got to remember the Jews wouldn't let women do anything. You remember the, the prayer of, a, of a, a Jewish man? He woke up every day and he said, God, thank you, I wasn't born a woman. That's how they thought, right? But you got to understand in the early church, they just blew all that out of the water. You see it all the time. Who, who, you know, Jesus rises from the dead, and somebody's got to be the first person to see him. Who is it? It's a woman. Here's Paul, who's, by the way, writing what many will call the greatest letter ever written. The greatest letter ever written. And who does he give it to to get on a ship, travel across the sea to Rome, and, and deliver it? Who is it? It's a woman. So we need to understand that from the very beginning of the Christian church, women have been absolutely crucial uh, to, the, to the ministry and to the spread of the, of the gospel. They're not on the sidelines. They've never been on the sidelines. And if you look at church history from the early church up through uh, the Middle Ages and up to today, uh, their courage uh, in spreading the gospel and ministering to the saints has been uh, absolutely incredible. Now, that doesn't change the fact that God calls men to fill a governing role 
in the church as teaching elders and governing elders, but that does not diminish at all the roles and responsibilities of women. Women are called to work in the church. They're called to work in ministry just as much as the men, just in different roles. Now, let's turn to verse 3. In verse 3, we're introduced to two more really incredible people, a man and a woman, a a woman by the name of Priscilla and a man by the name of Aquila. You see this in verses 3 through 5. Paul says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Now, Here are two people. Phoebe is only mentioned one time in the book of Romans, and you just saw it. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in multiple books. They're not only mentioned here in Romans. They're mentioned in the book of Acts. They're mentioned in uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians. And they're also mentioned in his second letter to, to Timothy. We know a lot about them. For example, we know they were movers. And when I say movers, I literally mean uh, movers. Aquila, we know, was born in a Roman province called Pontus, which is in modern-day northern Turkey. We know that he and Priscilla lived in Rome until 49 AD when the emperor Claudius drove all the Jews out of Rome. Every single Jew in Rome was was run out. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were Jews, so they had to leave. They ended up going down to Corinth, and guess who they met in Corinth? They met a man by the name of Paul. Uh, They eventually traveled to Ephesus, and they had a house church there. They turned around later, moved back to Rome, and now they've got a church in Rome. And then later on, they'll move back to Ephesus one more time, and that's the last we will hear of them. If you actually look at that on a map, you can see where they were from, which is Pontus in northern modern-day Turkey. They went to Rome, they went to Corinth, they went over to Ephesus, they went back to Rome, and they went back to Ephesus. So they were always on the move. Now, let's be honest, that's not an easy life. That's not a comfortable life. They weren't just travelers and and sojourners in the spirit. They were literally travelers and sojourners in their their fleshly life. And everywhere it went, it seems they had a church. Everywhere they'd go, they'd they'd start a church. They'd have people meeting in their home. Another thing that we know about them is they were workers. In Acts 18, Paul says this about him. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a a, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So that was what they did for a living. They, They made their own money. They supported themselves by making tents. And when they met Paul, they brought uh, Paul in them and let him work with them as well. When you look at this couple, no matter where they go, they're always working. You know, you'll hear sometimes somebody says, well, I'm, what kind of work do you do? Well, I'm in government or I'm in medicine or I'm in, I'm in the military or I'm in politics. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were in Christ. Everything they did was about Christ. Whether they were uh, making uh, tents by day to earn money to, to, to support their house church or whatever they were doing, they were always focused on Jesus Christ. Again, no matter what they were doing, it was all about the work of Christ. Everything they did was for him, through him, and to him. And uh, man, if that could be said about uh, us as well. One more thing about them is they were risk takers. Paul said they risked their necks for my life. 
Now, we don't know exactly what happened. Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us in any other places. But somehow, they saved Paul's life at some point by actually risking their own life. Now, here's this interesting thing about Priscilla and Aquila. When you read about them, you never see them mentioned separately. Never. It's not that... By the way, did you know the Apostle Peter was married? Everybody know that? You remember in the Gospels where Jesus went to his house and healed his mother-in-law of a fever? Do you remember where Paul said one time in one of his letters, hey, Peter takes his family with him. So he was married. Do you know his wife's name? You know anything about her? We don't. So it's, it, I'm not saying, what I'm saying is there, there you had a couple, but Peter was Peter, right? And, and, and she's not mentioned. You never see uh, Priscilla mentioned without Aquila or Aquila mentioned without a Priscilla. Whatever they did, they did as a couple, even to the point of risking their life for Paul. Paul doesn't say, man, Aquila, what a man. He, he risked his life for me. No, he said they did it. Whatever they did, they did it together, even to the point of being ready to die. So, Scooter, you can take that and make a marriage thing around that right there, okay? All right, we've got three out of 27. We've got 24 names left. So I'm just going to go through and I'm going to read them. I'm going to start with verse 5. Paul says this, Greet my beloved Epinetus, or Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now you say, okay, what's the big deal? Well, I want you to understand something. Somewhere in the 40s A.D., okay, somewhere in the 40s, Paul takes his first missionary journey. He leaves, uh, he leaves out of Israel and he, and he goes up into what was then known as the Roman province of Asia. This is where you find the church of the city of Galatia, the city of Ephesus. And he's there and somebody has to be the first convert, right? Somebody's going to be the first believer. Well, it ends up being this guy, a guy by the name of Epinetus. Now, why... Do I point this out? Because that was back in the 40s. Now you're in the 60s. 20 to 25 years have gone by. Now, by the way, this wasn't a time when it was easy to be a Christian. You were persecuted for being a Christian. You, you could die for being a Christian. And I bet Paul looks over there and he said, that's the first one. And he's still going strong. 25 years later, he's still kicking. He's still going. I mean, then he says, he is my beloved Epinetus. So I just think that had to make Paul so proud that 20, 25 years later, he's past his first missionary journey. There's the guy right there. There's the power of the gospel demonstrated in a man called Epinetus. Let's read verses 6 through 16. And I'm just going to point out some names. He says, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, that means they're Jews, and my fellow prisoners, which means they had been imprisoned for the cause of Christ at some point in their life. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Okay, stop right there. Once again, here's two guys, Andronicus and Junia. They were saved before Paul was, and they're still going strong. 20, 25 years later, they're, they're still at it. They're still ministering. They're still going to it. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord 
who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Now, let me ask you a question. Do those names even matter? Does it really matter if we know their names? Well, let me tell you this. They certainly matter to Jesus. Okay? John 10, 3 says this, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. I, I just love this, man, that, that he... I, I go back and I look at these names, and they're 2,000 years have gone by, and we're still reading their, their names. They matter. But what that tells me is he knows my name. He knows who I am. I mean, I'm not just some guy. He, he knows who I am. It matters to him, and it should matter to us. Here's my point that I want to make, and I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to this later. We should strive to know each other's names because knowing someone's name is the first step in building a relationship. Listen, I might know your name, and we might not have a relationship, but I can guarantee you, you're not going to have a relationship with somebody and not know their name. Are you with me? You, I might know your name and we not have a relationship, but I can absolutely guarantee you, you're never going to have a relationship with somebody without first knowing their name. That's why names are important, because it's important because it's the first step in a potential relationship. Now, let me show you that. One of the things that we see in this verse is, isn't just a list of names. We actually see the relationships. Now, I'm not going to read this again um, because it's a lot of verses. But I want to point out a few words that describe these people. Paul says they're beloved, converts, kinsmen, fellow prisoners, well-known. Again, beloved, fellow worker, approved in Christ, family, kinsmen, workers, beloved, chosen, a mother to me a mother to me, and the brothers who are with them. Then he calls them saints. So you can see the list of the words there. Sister, brother, beloved, fellow workers, kinsmen, a mother to me. See, what you see here is, is what you see is not just, hey, I know that guy. I have a relationship with him. Not that I just know who she is, but Paul had relationships with all. It's, it's an amazing thing. When you think about it, Paul's never been to Rome. Remember we talked about that? I mean, I wanted to come to Rome, but he certainly knows these people. How he knows them, he's met them in his travels, but he has relationships with each and every one of them. Now, I'm not done with that topic. I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit because I want to finish this lesson off. Now, let's talk a little bit about the churches. I want you to notice that these relationships that Paul has are spread over several churches in Rome. Sometimes we have this misnomer that the church in Rome was this big dome like this, right? That right in the middle of the Rome, they built a big cathedral or a big dome, and every Christian in Rome came to there. Well, that, that wasn't it at all. In that day, they met in house churches. For example, Romans 16.5, it says this, uh, Greet also the church in their house, and talking about the house of Priscilla and Aquila. In verse 14, it says, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. He's probably talking about a church that meets with this group of, of men. 
In Romans 16, 15, greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Again, he's probably referring to a different house church. So th- this is not some mega church that sits in Rome. You, you wouldn't have done that in those days. They wouldn't have gave you a permit for it. They, 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 I mean, you, just, you were never going to do that. They all met in several small house churches. Now, I want you to notice, though, that Paul treats them as one. Romans 1.17, at the very beginning of this letter, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. There doesn't seem to be, at least with Paul, any separations across churches. It's not like, man, these guys, I just like them a little better because they're a little closer to what I believe than, than these guys over here. They, they, they don't seem to have separations like we do uh, today. Listen, I want to encourage you, do not allow your relationships to be confined only to River of Life. Don't allow your relationships to only be confined to River of Life. There are Christian brothers and sisters that attend other churches. They are are our brothers and they are sisters. They are family and they should be precious to us. I know it's more convenient to do it here because you see each other. But don't, don't let yourself think, man, this is the only Christians there are. Paul didn't see it that way and we certainly shouldn't either. In fact, let me show you this. Paul writes this letter. So I want you to, he's writing to these people, and they're, they're meeting in all these different house churches. And he, he uses the word greet 13 times. In 12 verses, he says greet 13 times. And he's not greeting them himself. If you go back and read it, he's not saying, hey, greet Priscilla. I greet Priscilla and Aquila. I greet uh, Pluribus, or I greet Narcissus. No, he's telling the church, you greet them for me. You greet Narcissus. You, you greet Olympus. You, you greet Priscilla and, and Aquila. Now, why would he do that? Because that's what he, he wants to facilitate relationships among them. It's not about him and them. It's about us. So Christians should be set precious to other Christians regardless of what church they belong to. Now, Paul ends the letter here. Very famous verse, and we all know what's coming, right? Romans 16, 16. He says this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, let me say, a few weeks ago, I I taught a lesson and said, hey, there's not many times that you can finish the lesson and go practice what he says. Well, tonight may be one of those nights again, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. What does he mean? Well, I want you to understand in that day and in that culture, it was customary to greet friends and guests with a kiss, right? Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes into the house of the Pharisee named Simon. And, of course, Mary comes in and and she's the one that that pours perfume on his feet and dries it with her hair. And, And Jesus turns to Simon. He says this, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. That was an absolutely just, everybody greeted that day with a, with a kiss. Luke 22, 47 to 28. We all know this. Jesus is in the garden, and it says, While he's still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he drew near Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? That was normal. By the way, I just did a little bit of research today. This is still very prevalent in other countries. 
Um, in fact, I, I found a site that said if, it's a travel site, and it says if you go to these countries, you got to know what they do. Some people will greet you with one kiss. Others will do two kisses, one on each cheek. Others will do three, and they always start on the right side. And some do four. I mean, you can imagine leaving a room. You'd never get out of there, man. You'd be, you'd be kissing people all the time. Um, there's even some countries that do the nose thing. It's called the Eskimo kiss. They, they, they rub noses. That's just customary. They don't, they don't see it as weird. They, don't, they would look at us as, as weird. So what Paul was doing, and, and, and I want you to know, I don't see this at all as some kind of binding universal requirement for all believers in all places that we have to kiss one another. Um, there may be cultures, as I said, when a kiss is great. There's other uh, play, places that we, we hug or we shake hands or maybe in an Asian company uh, uh, culture you bow. There's different ways you greet someone. So what I think Paul is doing here is he's saying this. He's saying take what is custom or, or, or common in your culture and make it holy. Let me say that again. Take, take a greeting, whether it's shaking hands, whether it's hugging necks, whether it's kissing on the cheek, whether it's whatever it is, take what is the customary greeting in your culture and you make it holy. Now, how do we do that? You make it holy by you're saying to that person, you're, you're important to me. You mean something to me. You're a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ to me. So I think whatever our greeting is, if it's shaking hands or hugging necks or whatever it is, the last thing we should be doing as Christians is, yeah, 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 whatever, you know, good to see you, yeah. We should be showing one another. Listen, you come to my house and my grandkids come over, there ain't no nodding heads. There's hugging and kissing and, and I'm going to show them that I love them. I think that's what Paul, whatever your customary greeting is in your, your culture, use it to let people know how important they are. Isn't that what holy means? Remember, you, you take something and you set it aside for the use of God. Take your handshake, take your hug, and use it for God. Use it to show people that you love them. Use them to show people that they're your brother and sister, that they're important to, to you. Now, I'm going to close with this. I said earlier, I talked about the name, and I talked about how Paul had... All those relationships with those people. I want to finish up with this. I want to talk about the foundation of our relationships. If you go back and you read verses 1 through 16, you see this over and over and over again. Paul says, welcome her in the Lord. My fellow workers in Christ. They were in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ, in Christ, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. Nine times. In those verses, you see that phrase, in Christ or in the Lord. What we need to understand is those are relationships built on a shared faith in Jesus Christ. You're my brother, you're my sister, because we share a faith. We both believe in, in Jesus Christ. We are both in the Lord. We are, and because of that, we are part of the family of God. Have you ever watched... On TV, when um, somebody gets trapped in a mine, you, you, y'all have probably seen that over the years, right? There's a mine collapse in, in, in West Virginia or Kentucky. And, and, and what happens when there's a mine collapse? You ever notice everybody rushes down, right? And they, they set up the lights and the news crews, and you look over there, and people are holding hands, and they're, they're praying. with They don't even know each other. 
and, and they're praying for one another. I mean, they're praying for the people who are trapped. Everybody's in there pitching in 24-7, right? Whatever it takes to get those people out. And if you ever notice when they come out, what happens? It's like a celebration, right? Everybody's hugging. Everybody's, man, this is just, it, it's great. They don't even know each other. Now, why would they do that? There's something deeply bonding about a people who go through danger and come out the other side safe. You understand that? There's something that should be deeply bonding about people who can go through danger and come out the other side. Folks, that is an experience that every single one of us in this room should be sharing. See, the fact is, we have been rescued from infinitely long suffering. And we've been rescued by an infinitely valuable Savior. And we've been moved to a place that is infinitely safe. Nobody's gone through the danger we've gone through and come out the other side with the safety that we have. See, the relationship that Paul has with those people is he understands that they all stood on the precipice of hell together. And they've all been rescued by Jesus Christ and placed on solid ground by Him. And now, here they are. They're trembling, man. They're, they're so happy. They're hugging because they're all in Christ. They're all safe. That's why he says, in Christ or in the Lord, nine times, because that's where we are. We are safe. We are eternally safe because of Him. And we share that experience together. By the way, this is a bond that should cross color and cross nationality and cross ethnicity and, and, a, and a million other things that would separate us. We've gone through danger out together and we have been rescued together. And by the way, we should be hugging and celebrating and, and, and just feeling that, that bond. But what happens if we don't? If we don't feel that bond for one another, if we don't feel that affection for one another, it's probably because of a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't feel like we really got rescued. Somehow we think, you know, I'm a good person. I really wasn't in that much danger. We don't, we don't appreciate the danger that we've been rescued from, and we don't feel amazed at our rescue. We don't feel amazed that he would choose me. But let me tell you, when you really understand the danger you were in, and you really, really understand the safety that you've been delivered to, trust me, Trust me, you will not only celebrate it, you'll want to celebrate it with him and her and her and her and him and anybody else that say, man, isn't this awesome? Isn't this great? So the safety we feel together, if it doesn't feel very precious, it's because we don't understand the danger. We don't understand the rescue. It's, it's just as if there was never anybody buried in a mine. There were no vigils, no prayers, no rescues. Therefore, there's no hugs. We need to understand. So if you don't feel affection for your brothers and sisters, if you don't feel that bond, what you need to do is go back to Jesus and say, Lord, let me, let me understand what I was rescued from. Show me. Show me the danger I was in. Show me, for the first time, the safety that I'm in. Don't let me take any of that for granted. See, we can only experience these incredible relationships when, with other Christians when we truly know what it means to be rescued. I started out tonight by asking the question, what's in a name? What's in a name is a potential relationship. 
What's in a name is a potential relationship. A relationship that I remember uh, Jim and Jan, I don't see them here tonight. I remember several years ago, they were in my Sunday school class and I got to know them. And they'd come in every Sunday morning and they would, we, we used to, we had, we stopped this since the pandemic. And those of you that are, that are new may not have experienced this, but every Sunday morning we would sing a song or two and then we would stop. And for 10 minutes we would just visit. We would just, just visit. Everybody remember those, those days? And I would, you know, people over here would go over to the dark side. And the people on the dark side would go over to the light side. And it was, it was awesome. And the pandemic has kind of, you know, kind of stopped that. And, and there's still, and one of the reasons, by the way, we haven't started back is there's still people that are a little iffy. And I don't, I don't want to put, I don't want to make you feel weird. I don't want to rush over there and, ah, I'm coming, you know. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, stay away from me, crazy man. So, so we're being a little careful and you can understand that, right? But I remember telling Jim and Jan they would never move. You know, everybody else is moving around. They're just, they're just looking. And I said, man, you got to get out. You got to get out. You don't know what you're missing. J- just taste it and see that the fellowship of the saints is good. It, it's, it, it will enrich your life in ways that you can't even imagine. And you can ask them. They'll tell you, man, they started out, you know, they stepped over to that next chair right there. You know? <laughs> they didn't go very far. But now everybody in here pretty much knows who they are, right? They're, they're all over the place. They're involved in everything. And they tell me that all the time, man, we sure appreciate you encouraging us. What a, what a difference it's made in our life. Listen, it starts with a name. It goes to a relationship that enriches your life and it enriches my life and it enriches the life of this church. Don't hesitate. As we leave here tonight, I would encourage you to once again... Obey the commands of the Lord, right? We, if, you, if there's somebody here, you don't know their name. How hard is it? Just go find out their name. And, but do, do more than that. Make it a point. You know, ask them something about themselves. Try to do something to start a relationship. Let me tell you, if we build relationships in this church along these lines, and we love one another and, and bond together and have affection for one another, it not only enriches your life, it'll change everything. It just changes everything. We've done, a, a, over the years, some of the most incredible relationships and friendships that I've ever had in my life are right here at River of Life. They're right here at River of Life. Um, if you're not experiencing that, I encourage you. I encourage you. Get out of your comfort zone and go meet somebody. Uh, introduce yourself because on the other side of that name is a relationship. Let's pray. Father, we love you. As we always do, we thank you for your incredible word. God, I pray tonight for relationships here at River of Life. God, you have been so good to us for these many, many years, and you've created some incredible, incredible relationships amongst people in this church. But God, I know in the sound of my voice right now, there are, there are people who, they're, they're not at that point yet, right? They're not, they're not hooked in. They're not, they're not knowing people the way they should. And I just pray that tonight you'll start to change that, not only in their hearts, but in the hearts of others who see them and will come to them and and greet them with a holy hug or a holy handshake. Uh, Father, that we we will thrive as your children, that we will thrive as sisters and brothers of the one true God. 
We love you. We thank you for everything you do for us. And we give you the praise for rescuing us from an infinitely dangerous place by giving your life and putting me on an infinitely solid rock. God, thank you. Help us all to realize that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us at ROL Crawfordville for more information and directions.